well, way late last night, way later than I should have. I am exhausted, but that was just a phenomenal time. You know, when you're here and listen to 130 guys, I have, I have no voice left because the worship was tremendous last night. And the men just got into it. And, the, and I tell you, the, it was just amazing. And I know if your uh, husband's headed home here in an hour or so and you're going to reunite, I promise you you're going to be touched. And, uh, you know, uh, several years ago, a dear friend of mine, very close friend, I used to run the men's ministry and I used to do the men's retreats. And she called me up on the Monday morning after the retreat. Dear woman, good friend. She calls, Robert, I need an appointment with you. I go, Enola, talk to me. Go, no, I need a formal appointment. I'm going, oh, no. How did I offend her? What did I do wrong? And she comes in on Tuesday and she goes, what did you do with my husband? And she was serious. And she was, she had, he had had such a hard edge. We're going to talk about that in the message today. He had developed over the years uh, a hard edge. You know, he didn't smile much. And he just was kind of that way. And they kind of, over time, that's just the way it was. She wasn't happy about it, but that's just the way it was. And she actually told me she learned to actually control her husband because of that. And now he comes home loving and caring. You know, bought her flowers. He, she was like, no, that doesn't happen. You know, and... It's amazing. And that, you know, many, many years ago, they're now live in Vegas and they're doing awesome raising a family. So, you know what? Your husband's going to come home because he was touched by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might be sitting in this room and your wife's just going to nail you right there. I told you you should have gone to that retreat. Next year, you can go too. No problem. Don't, don't leave here thinking, oh, you, you missed out. No. The Holy Spirit will show up today too. Well, I'm, I'm filling in for, uh, for Carl as he goes, you know, and you're the pinch hitter in baseball. Man, you just can't get up there and hit a base hit. Man, you got to do something. So no pressure. I got to do something here today or I'll never be asked back. I, on, the, on the board, it said a couple of things. I need you to make sure you realize that we're doing an Operation Christmas Child and we're actually at 2,000 uh, gifts. So we're planning on next week that if you've taken a box, to, next week it all comes back because our goal is 3,000 boxes. If you haven't really uh, got involved with the process, it's not too late. There's plenty of boxes out there. Our boxes this year, we found out going to Nepal. So it's a place that we have a ministry. Pastor Ralph goes there. It's a big time important to us that we can actually move with the pastors. Because what happens is those boxes go to churches. And after you pack them with all those goodies that blesses that kid, the folks from Operation Christmas Child put a track in with their language. And they actually invite them to be a part of a six-week Bible study. Many kids have come to the Lord. I'm sure you saw the testimony we've showed a couple times of kids who have met that box and met the Lord doing it. So it's not too late. Love to have you a part of that. And also, Thanksgiving is around the corner in a couple of weeks. We cook a meal for the folks in this community who would love to have a hot meal and a friendly face to eat it, eat it with. And you know what? When I say we, who am I talking about? Us. We's the us. So if you'd like to help cook a turkey or serve the food or be a part of it in any way, we'd love to just go out in the courtyard and sign up. And when you leave today, the ushers are going to give you a piece of paper. It looks just like this. And the only way anybody shows up at Ben Parker on Thanksgiving Day is if we invite them. And again, we, I mean you, invite them. You're, you live in this community. You shop in this community like me. And if you see anybody along the way, just hand them to say, love to have you have lunch with us on Thanksgiving Day. We're the only organization, actually, that on the Windward side that has food on Thanksgiving. So we cook a, cook a traditional meal and bless them on Thanksgiving. This is the third year we've done it. Okay. Change gears. James chapter 3. 
wearing James. Anybody happy about that besides me? I love James. I've read James many, many times. It's the book that I use to disciple others with. Now, you know, sometimes you want to do this really stirring, unbelievable message. But today, it's, it's, I want you to know when you talk about uh, James, you're talking about a practical word. It's a, it's, a, it's a book that absolutely tells us how to be all that God would want us to be. Anyone who has a desire to go deep in their love for the Lord, this is the book. James writes it. And does anybody know who James is? Who? Jesus' brother. So when we read James, we're reading someone who walked and talked and experienced Jesus firsthand. We're also going to read when he writes it, he says, dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to us believers. He's writing to believers and he's saying it in the most affectionate way, much like if you wrote your mom and dad or your brother and sister somewhere, if they're somewhere else, just on, on an email or something, you're writing with absolute affection. And that's what James is doing when he writes this. He's saying, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And he writes because he wants us to experience faith. The two things that when you read James, you have to understand. He is telling us the man that I'm talking about is absolutely real and believable. And the other thing he wants to make sure we get out of is that we grow in our maturity. He uses that word twice in this book. That we would grow when the winds of storms of life come at us from every which way. We say, you know what? I trust you, God. I can get through this because of you in my life. So when you read this, you have to understand that. Then he writes, he, he explains himself. Do you realize that before he uh, became a Christian, James, he didn't believe Jesus at all. He thought he was nuttier, nuttier in a fruitcake. And so did the rest of his siblings. And it tells us in John. It says this in John 7. After this, Jesus traveled to Galilee. By the way, I was fortunate enough to be on that trip to the Holy Land. Just We just came back. Galilee is phenomenally beautiful. Phenomenally beautiful. He wanted to stay there in Judah where the Jewish leaders were plotting for his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, Why don't you leave here and go to Judah where your followers can see your miracles? If you want to be famous, what are you hiding out here for? You can go do your wonderful things over there and show yourself to the world. Even his brothers didn't believe in who he was. Wow. But somewhere along the line, he went from being a non-believer to being completely sold out. And how do we know he was sold out? Because he describes himself to us in the very first verse of James. Let me, this is how he describes himself to us. He says, this is a letter from James, a slave of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Back then, he knew something about slaves. Slaves were, you know, that was a part of life. And people who were slaves absolutely gave up their rights to everything. And they became the slave to their master. And James knew that. When he wrote slave, he didn't just write that word because he had nothing else to write. He said, you know what? I am sold out to this man, Jesus so he went from a non-believer to a believer. Any of you ever do that too? I mean, I grew up in the Catholic Church. 28 years ago when Deb and I came to the Lord, my beautiful wife here, Deb, um, we came to the Lord. My, thought, my family thought I'd joined a cult. Anybody else like that? The Lord so touched you so deeply that it moved you so mightily that the person that they knew before wasn't even recognizable anymore. And that's what happened to James. Anybody like that? Isn't it amazing? And so when we read James, 
We're reading a book that says, you know what? I want you to be all you can be. And he's pleading with us to, li- us to listen to him. Now, a couple of weeks ago when Tom was preaching, preaching, we were talking about chapter 2. And it said that what we learned in that chapter was that our faith and doing something with it is imperative. And so what we do, what our faith and what we say is played out in what we believe and what we do. Does that make sense? What we believe and what we do. And as we get to chapter 3 today, James is going to tell us that there is no greater outward expression of our faith in doing something than with our mouth. Our faith and our doing something is never more visible than in what we say. Did you catch me? I don't know about you, but when I, before I came to the Lord, my mouth was terrible. I mean, off the chart bad. I was in construction. It was a way of life. Some of you guys are in the military. You're shaking your head at me right now. You know what I'm saying. You know what? I mean, every three words were not good. Terrible. And the minute I came to the Lord, the second I came to the Lord, my mouth changed. Anybody like that? I, I went from saying, you know, that was a way of life to absolutely being offended by somebody using bad language. See, when you come to the Lord, he not only gives you a new heart, but he gives you a new vocabulary. It's an amazing thing. Just recently, I was watching the Golf Channel. I might be led to do that. <laughs> and Donald Trump's on there. And I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, but I was watching. He built a ton of golf courses. You know how many times they bleeped them in about two minutes? I was shocked. Here's a man of such influence with the worst mouth. I mean, what the heck? You'd think you'd have grown up by now. But guess what? Anyone, anyone who does not know the Lord has no conviction to change his vocabulary. Only people who know the Lord. It says in the word clearly that he changes the way we think. In Romans, the 12th chapter, it says, don't, be, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but be, changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what he does. He changes the way we think. So when you're out there encountering people and their mouths and their attitudes, guess what? They just don't get it. But the worst thing we can do is what? Fall into the trap of being just like them. Because then we're copying the behaviors of this world. Are you catching me? So as we jump into James chapter 3, let's check out what he says to us today. And he starts, first thing he does, he warns people who actually teach the word. Before he starts talking to the rest of the world, of his believers, dear brothers and sisters, he talks to the teachers, and this is what he says. It says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we teach, who, who, those who teach will be judged more strictly. Those who stand up here, those who teach a children's church class, those who teach a mini church, those who lead a Bible study, those who use the word to disciple others will be judged more strictly. It says two things. First of all, we're all going to be judged for what we say. It clearly says that. I don't need to spit on you, spam. I'm sorry. My dear friend here, that's what you get for sitting in the front row. Sorry. But those who teach are going to be, caught, be judged more strictly because the person, what you say and what you do are so linked together because of the influence of being 
a teacher. We see that in the newspaper all the time. Pastors who who preach the word, but lives don't line up. And the word does say they'll be caught. What happens? The fall is mighty. The fall is mighty. And he's saying, whoever interacts with the word, I need your, the word and what you say to line up. The word says that in, um, let me see where it's at. In uh, Romans 2, 21, it says, well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you also steal. You hear what I'm saying? That if you're teaching, you've got to line up. got to be who you are. The second thing I just want to say on a personal note is, really important to me is, when you teach, you got to be prepared. Really important that you're prepared. There was a guy that used to come through here all the time. And I, I'm using him as an example. I won't mention his name, but he drew, he drew big crowds in here. And I, I used to take him golfing. And I say, what are you teaching on tonight? I have no idea. I'm just going to stand up there and open my Bible. And that used to be fingernails on a chalkboard to me. And you know what? Teachers, we got to be prepared. If we have the responsibility of the word, it's, it's, our, it's incumbent upon us to understand the word. Are we there? But going on, he talks to the rest of us. He says this. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. I love the word many. I looked it up in the original language. You know what it means? Many. Thank God the Lord has grace in our life. That's what, he, that's what he's saying here. James is telling us, before I get into this discourse, know this. We all make mistakes, and God's not blind to that. And he still loved us, loves us anyhow, and he chose us all the matter. It says this. It says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be made perfect and could also control the rest of everything else. You know why he says that? I want to, first of all, I want to look at the word perfect. First, when you hear that word, you're thinking, well, no one can be perfect except Jesus. And you're absolutely right. Absolutely. I know when you get up in the morning, I get in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I'm going, oh, holy Toledo, what happened to you? But you know what I look in the mirror and really say? Well, oh, I wouldn't have chose me if I was God. I wouldn't have chose me. But he did. And he chose you. And you. We don't have to be perfect. It clearly says that we all make mistakes. See, the perfect we're talking about here is in the original language. It's theos. And it means to grow to maturity. And he's saying, what he's saying is, if we get our tongue under control, we mature to a place that whenever anything happens, we can handle it. Let me show you another word it said this. In the very first chapter of James, in verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider an opportunity of great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Again, the word perfect, theos, means maturity. So James is trying to say, I want you guys to grow in your place of trusting God in such a place that no matter what happens, you can trust him. Are you there? But when it talks about having control of your tongue, it's very important we understand that because our tongue is the easiest place for us to offend God. It's the easiest place for us to sin. Very simply, because we, we, most of us talk between 15 and 30,000 words a day. The man speaks 15,000. And by the time he gets home with his wife or his girlfriend or, and boyfriend... 
she's only getting started. She said, I got enough 15,000 to talk. That was funny. Come on. <laughs> See? So he says, uh, you know, we speak a lot of words. One fifth of our life is done talking. That's what we do. We spend a lot of time talking. And so it's the most readily available place for us to sin, to offend God and others. We have to understand that. So when he talks about controlling our tongue, I want to say this. What James is trying to tell us is if we are trying to get our act together, trying to get to know love to the Lord and trying to really get our hands around our walk with him. I give you one word of advice. James is telling us focus on one thing and one thing only. And that's what comes out of our mouth. Focus on that, he's saying. You get control of that and everything else will come in. So whatever spiritual dynamic that happens to us, when we get our, when we get what we say in line with what God's word says, the rest of us will follow along. Does that make sense? In 2006, my wife and I and my son-in-law, we bought a, I work full-time for the church and I wasn't going to change that. I wasn't leaving here. But we took the financial part of that and we bought a business. Yay? Nah. So about this business, and the first year was awesome. Awesome. 2007 comes, and man, not so good. And what happened to me, and I didn't realize at the time, was I was falling into some depression. Some things were also changing around here in, in the world of Hope Chapel. And a lot of things were happening to me, but I didn't know what they were totally. What kept my hands around, I fell into depression, and I fell into some anxiety. And what happened was, is without me really realizing it, my attitude sucked. And the way I was approaching my language, you know, talking to people, it had a bite to it. I wasn't gracious and caring and loving. I was more on the very, you know, hard side. And one day my wife comes up and says, brother, you better get some help because this has got to change. It's not good when your wife says that too, by the way. And by the way, I just minimized what she really said. She said, you better get some help, brother. And I realized that what happened was, is I let my attitude affect my speech, which affected every part of my being and to the point where she wasn't happy about being around me. Other people weren't really happy about being out around me. I was just had an edge. And sometimes we can fall on that so simply and so easily. But our, what the words James is trying to tell us, but what comes out of our mouth, even though our tongue is so small, it's so powerful because you can build up or destroy very simply. Very easily. I don't know about you too, but I'm a very impatient guy. Anybody impatient in here? Oh, there's a few of us. Coupled with that is I hate, and I don't use that word lightly, to be late. Anybody like that in here? A few of us. How many couldn't care less if they're late? Raise your hand, Deb. I love you, babe. Sorry. Okay, thanks. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Only for, only for effect. Only for effect. But, you know, seriously, in all seriousness, I hate being late. Ten minutes early is right on time. That's just the way we are. All of us who know that know that. It's the way it is. You know what I mean? So we're going to go to a party one night, and I'm ready. I'm looking at the clock. It's time to be there. She's still getting ready. I'll meet you in the car, babe. Now, how many know that one minute's like two hours when you're impatient? So 
Here's what I did. I know I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I hunked the horn. How's that working for me now? So we're all dressed up going to a party. How much fun do you think we're going to have at that party? Not good. Fight all the way. All the way. You know, you walk in the party. How's everybody doing? I'll kick your butt later, Rob. Okay. Anybody relate to that? What if I had said, babe, you look beautiful. We've got to hurry up, though, a little bit. You know what I mean? Now, I don't know what you think my wife's a chronically late person. She is not. Oh, here's, here's, I want you to know one thing. This is very important. You know what I fail to do with my wife? Tell her my expectations. Anybody like that? You didn't know? No, I did not. And see, my wife, all I had to do was tell her, can we leave by this time? And bam, once I learned that, life's good. And I cut my impatience down. Just a trick to you guys who are impatient and not telling. Because sometimes we, we say, un, 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 we don't tell them our expectations. And all of a sudden, what comes out of our mouth then gets crazy. And James is telling us, focus on your mouth and build up. But what happens when those full-on bonfires hit? You know, the one with the gas and the match and kaboom! Rage. Anybody ever been there? Really? You're the only one besides you and me. We're the only ones. I remember one time, during that time, we, we got in a little argument, and a little bigger, and it turned into a full-on raging battle. You know, where you, one of those fights where no holds barred, baby. It's just flying. Ready, aim, fire? No. Ready, fire, aim. Boom. We stopped thinking long ago. Just bam, 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 bam. Just off the chart bad. And my wife all of a sudden just grabs me, spiritual lady that she is, and she is. Let's pray. Of course, the spiritual man that I am. Heck no, I'm not praying. (laughs) Fortunately, she was wise enough to understand the enemy is in the camp. It wasn't about her and I. And she knew that I did not. I wasn't wise enough to figure that out. She was. The minute she was done praying, we started laughing. I mean, laughing, laughing, laughing. You know why? We totally forgot what the heck we were fighting about. I'm not lying. But what happened? The enemy got in the camp. Look at what it says here. James tells us, But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire, and the whole world of wickedness and corruption can corrupt the entire body. It can set your entire life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. Folks, we're talking about growing to a place of maturity. Are we not? And James is saying, I want you to understand, when you get in that battle, who is in there creating a deeper, stronger fire? The enemy. And he's, Paul, James is telling us, listen to me. I want you to grow in maturity. And when the battle comes between you and your boss, between you and your mom and dad, between you and your classmates, between a husband and a wife and your children and the, everybody else in your world, your neighbors, and you get onto a full-on battle, you've got to understand the enemy is in the camp, and that's what James is trying to tell us. And what do you got to do when that happens? Pray. Pray. Let me 
just explain one thing why I take a little sidetrack here. I've been, we've been married for 34 years. Whew. By the grace of God. Seriously, by the grace of God. I have three beautiful children and four beautiful grandchildren. But let me tell you, if we didn't learn to pray, there is absolutely no chance we'd be married today. And I'm not joking here. I'm not saying that because I, it's cute to say that. I'm telling you right now, we would not be married if we didn't learn to pray. Straight out, I'm telling you that. If I say nothing else today and you leave here and remembering nothing, drive down the driveway, turn left on Poakella, and you forgot the whole bloody message, please do this. Know that prayer changes everything. And I'm not whistling Dixie here. Listen, listen. Prayer is not easy. It's, you have to acquire the taste for it. And that's how I mean that. Why do I, why do you have to do that? It's not natural for you to pray. Why? Because the last thing the enemy wants you to do is learn how to pray together as husband and wife. The absolute last thing. Why? Because he knows there's power in it. The word says when two or more are gathered, he's there. Who's the most powerful two or more in the Bible? Husband and wife. It says that in Genesis. He put you together. And when you hold hands, it says there's a whole healing touch when you hold hands, lay hands on one another. So when a husband and wife hold hands and pray together, something on a spiritual plane is happening to make sure the enemy has no room in your marriage or in your relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, your place at work, the student in the classroom, no matter where it's at, the enemy cannot get in when you're praying. Do you get that? And James is telling us, if you want to grow to maturity, if you want to be full grown, as a Christian, you have to understand that the enemy wants to get in the camp and you need to know you've got to get to your knees because he'll kill throw more gas in the fire, more gas during the bench. Now, if you get in that full born fire, what is the most important thing for you to say? I'm sorry. The most powerful words you can use. Nothing puts out a fat fire faster than I'm sorry. Now I'm going to throw something at you right now. I know most of the men are at the men's retreat. And if the men's feet are in the aisle, get ready to get stepped on. And this is Rob talking. I do a lot of counseling. And this is, this is a conviction the Lord really gave me this week. And I'm talking to myself here. So don't think I'm talking to you. I'm talking to all the men. The word says in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, that we are what of our house? What are we? Priests of the home. The head of the home. Says It uses the word priest, though, in my Bible. If you're the priest of the home, that means you're the spiritual head of the home. And guess what you're to do when the fire rages? Pray. Say you're sorry for sure, but pray. You're the spiritual head of the home. That means you lead the prayer. Now, do I do that in my home regularly? No. I'm telling you straight up. My wife gets, gets that discernment much faster than I do. But do I pray? Of course I do. Of course I do. But I feel a conviction in my heart that the Lord is also trying to tell us to grow to maturity as a husband and wife. And now, I know not everybody in this, in this room is married. I know that. Please don't turn me off because someday many of you will want to be married or going to be married and you'll want to remember this. But if you are married, remember this. You need to learn to pray together and when the fire comes, men... That's when you have to realize the enemies in the camp. Because sometimes we blame each other. And sometimes, guess what? It is us. I don't want to confuse you. Sometimes, it flat, flat, it is us. We've, we're tired, we're irritable, and we just go, you know, it's a time to tell you how I really feel. And boom, your mouth, ready, aim, fire. No, ready, fire, aim. Fatigue is a killer. How many know that? You're tired. You've used up all your 15,000 words. And your wife's going, come on, brother. 
We've already gone to our nothing box. We're fedging out. And all of a sudden you want 15,000 more of us. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> but if it is that way, I have suggestions. This is what I say in counseling. If there is something you really need to talk about, because how many times, how many of you know, even when your boyfriend and girlfriend, somebody's tired and man, you're fatigued and things come out of your mouth and oh, next thing you know, you're going for it. When you're tired, you got to say, you know what? We're not talking anymore tonight. I am done. Whatever comes next is not going to be good. So, hey, but tomorrow, remember this tomorrow, we're going to pick it up right here because probably there's a behavioral change that you want to happen. And that's what caused the fight to begin with. There's something you're doing that's bugging me. And you just need to talk that through with what kind of words? Blessing, edifying, caring, loving words. Not, look at you keep doing that, darn it. What are you thinking? No. Do it with love, and I promise that. For, by the way, for those husbands that are about to come home, and all the husbands in this room, you know the fastest way to his heart? No, it's not through sex and food. <laughs> Pat him on the back and say, You're wonderful. You're doing an awesome job. Promise you. You'll open up you'll open them up like you wouldn't believe. I have definitely used my time. I am gonna move along here. <laughs> okay, people in verse seven. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poisons. Sometimes it praises the Lord, the Father, and sometimes it curses those who are made in his image. And blessing and cursing can pour out of the same mouth. Whoa. Do you know that we all talk to ourselves? It's quite all right to talk to yourself as long as you don't go, huh? <laughs> Very good. And by the way, well over the vast majority of our self-talk is negative. 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 You know, you're driving down the road, guy gets in front of you, and you spend the next 30 minutes planning his demise... What are you doing right there to that man or that woman? You're cursing them. You are pronouncing a curse on them. Say you drive to work and you got in a fight with your boyfriend. And you just can't let it go. And you're running through your mind all the things you want to say to him. And all of a sudden you go down that road and you're really mad at him. You're thinking the worst of him. What are you doing? Cursing him. Yep. Cursing and yourself. True. The word says that we are to be a blessing. Does anybody go to live in Kailua, go to the Kailua post office? Anybody do that? Okay, there's a man there. I don't know his name. Okay, this is the greatest picture. I, I can't tell you how important what just happened is. Please get your, don't be thinking about where you're going to lunch. Think about what I'm saying right now. Don't, don't check out on me. What just got said is so important. There's a guy at the Kailua post office that if you don't go there, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but he is the nicest man I've ever met. Does anybody know that man? Okay, how would you like to be known by that? How would you like to have a sermon and we talked about you and you? How would you like to be going to a party? Did you meet that guy? That guy, you know what? He is the nicest guy I've ever met. I don't even know his name. But guess what he does every time I meet him? He lights up my day. Whose life are you lighting up today? 
by what you and how you say it. Please hear me. What comes out of our mouth is so important. And James is saying, you know what? Focus on it. That man at that post office has focused on it very well. And to the point where, you know what? He lights up the world. And that's what God and James, is, through the Holy Spirit, is telling us today. Light your world on fire by what you say. By what you say. By the way, if you do think negative of your girlfriend or boyfriend or your spouse, you have to understand the enemy is in the camp. You've got to stop that right then. You've got to stop it. The word says take every thought captive. That means you cannot allow yourself to go down that road. Sometimes we think we're, we're, we're insecure and all that. We're, you know, things aren't going well and we start gossiping about someone else. And we add to it. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's so true. You know, all of a sudden you're full blown into it. And guess what that says? You know what it says in the Bible? That murder, adultery, gossip is in the same line. Woo! Hello. You know that what we seek, what we speak, how we speak and are using our tongue. James mentions it in every chapter in this book. You think that's important to James? Yes, it is. No, you know what? We'll have greatest, the greatest effect on people when somebody starts gossiping, you walk away. He says, the only way I'm going to talk about this is if that person is in my presence. Around here in my world, you want to really bum me out? Talk about somebody that's not in the room at the same time. As long as that person's in the room, then sure, you have a beef talk. No promise. We've got to talk it out. But that person's not in that room. There's absolutely no chance that names should come up. That person has no ability to defend themselves. And half the time, it's not even true anyhow. And you know what? If I said started right here and walked all the way around the room to over here, the story would be completely different by the time it got over here. And you know what? We allow that to happen. Who knows what reputations we're breaking and ruining and killing. And that's what it says. Watch the mouth. It says this. So blessing and cursing can be poured out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring bubble up water that's both fresh and bitter? Does a fig tree produce olives? Does a grapefruit, grapevine produce figs? No. And you cannot draw fresh water from a salty spring. The Lord is saying, bring blessing onto your world. You know what I mean? A smile. How, how easy is it to smile? We, we've gotten, we get out of bed in fifth gear, driven. Anybody else driven in here? I'm a driven guy. You know what? I can let the world go by. It's so focused on me, and it's wrong. And I don't smile. I, I walk across the courtyard. There goes Rob again. You know, it's just the way it is. And, it, you know, it's not the way it is. My wife reminds me of all that. Smile, Rob. And inside, I'm smiling. I'm a very loving person inside, but I'm kind of so focused that I'm not smiling. And same with us. We go through life, got to get this thing done, and we don't even smile. I mean, three-quarters of our communication has zero to do with words, you know. It's how we show up. You know, we're in a good mood. I mean, walk up to that guy, tell her, the teller at the post office at Kailu, I promise you, the dude ain't going to frown at you. He's smiling the whole time. You can't walk up and go, man, you're in a good mood today. Yeah, I'm excited about life. That's what he wants from us. That's what he wants from us. Let me close with this. It says this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of life. Avoid all perverse speech. 
Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Don't mark, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the path. Do not get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Nothing, no other verse sums up it better than that. Because when you're focusing on what you're saying, that means your eyes are straight ahead. You're just focused. Laser beam. You don't worry about what's going on out here. I'm only focused on this. And James is saying, if we do that, we'll turn our world upside down. Our world will be upside down. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we, our desire is to know you and love you more deeply every time we open the word, Lord. And I pray for everyone in this room today, including myself, that when we, that we would be able to focus on what comes out of our mouth, Lord. Allow us to be an overwhelming blessing to the people in our world, Lord. Allow us to be, I mean, they would never forget us because of our love for the world, for our life, and especially for you, Lord. That everything that came out of our mouth would build people up and not tear people down. That we'd be part of the solution, but not a part of the problem. And I pray, too, I want to play a, a, a word of blessing. And also the, just to pray for a healing for anyone in this room, like me, whose temper, whose anger can get out of control very easily. And I want to pray just for you guys and me right now. So, Lord, I come before you right now in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come down and touch our heart and that you'd break the bondage of the anger that sometimes rises up inside of us that we cannot control. And I bind the enemy, Lord, because that is your word says it's straight from the pit of hell. Right now, I bind the enemy in Jesus' name and by the blood that you shed on the cross for us, that you would take that away from us and heal us, Lord. That literally, the people who are used to interacting with us would absolutely see a difference, a change in us. And Lord, for any of us in this room have never come to know you in a personal way, who's never really understood that the new life that you offer it, is only through you, Lord, and the blood that you shed on the cross, Lord. And I want to pray a special prayer for you right now. But I also want to know who's praying with me. So if you've never come to a place where you said, Jesus, come into my life and allow me to, to be touched so deeply by you that you're changing the way I think. In Romans, it does tell us that. That literally, when the Holy Spirit comes in, into us, we literally change the way I think. And I pray that for anyone in this room right now. But I want to know who's praying. So if that's you and you want to pray with me, it's very simple. In a couple seconds here, you're going to raise your hand and I'm going to know who you are. I want to know who I'm looking for. Everybody's hands, eyes are down. I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. If you want to pray, get prayed for. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Raise your hand so I can see it. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you back there. Great. That's awesome. Let's pray right now. Just hitchhike on my words. Lord, come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, please forgive me for my sins, Lord. For, forgive me for leading a life my way and only my way, Lord. And I want you to come into my heart. Change me, Lord. I want to be unrecognizable to the people in my world. And I want to be washed by your blood right now. Lord, I want to be so filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be able to feel you tangibly in my life, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thanks, Rob. Let's give a clap to those guys that raised their hands and said yes to Jesus.